0: For years we have dwelt in the shadows, applying our skills and knowledge in secret, speaking our truth to all who would listen, applying our trade for those in need. Now it is time to emerge into the light, wipe our eyes of dust and venture forth into the world. Make ourselves known and invite all who seek our secret knowledge to work and learn with us. Welcome friends and fellow seekers to the Secret Society of the Instructional Designer. Travel with us auditorially as we explore the work and practice of our humble society. Join us for an interview with a practitioner of our art. As always, we end with one of our most mysterious traditions, a question from the question hat. So sharpen your pencils, open your notebooks, and align your learning objectives to the secret society of the instructional designer. All right, let's get to it. Holly, thank you so much for joining me for this interview. And I'm gonna ask you just two questions to kick it off. Tell us about yourself.
1: All right, so currently um, I'm an instructional designer at Amazon Pharmacy, which I love doing. I hopped out of the higher ed space recently. Um, I started my career out as a high school teacher, and then I transitioned into higher education as an instructional technology specialist. Um, and then that eventually evolved into instructional design in higher education. And I did that for about 10 years. And then most recently I jumped into corporate instructional design, um, at Amazon pharmacy. And I am also going back to work on my doctorate so i can finish it in the fall um so that's a little that's brand new information i'm a native marylander but i recently moved um to myrtle beach south carolina um, and live 13 minutes away from my grandparents and nine miles away from the beach and it's wonderful uh, so for those of you who are on the east coast and visit myrtle beach on vacation you know send me a message so we can have a coffee chat in person when you come down
0: Ah, oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, I'm very jealous. I grew up on the Jersey Shore, probably not as pretty, but uh, yeah, I love picturing you in this new environment. And the second question that I want to ask you before we get into our standard questions about instructional design um, is if you remember, can you tell our listeners how we know each other?
1: I believe that we met through LinkedIn and we had a coffee chat about like instructional design and other things and jobs and we just had a very like low-key calm conversation um and it was very much like we clicked from the beginning uh you know through one of those 15-minute conversations and then we've been keeping in touch ever since and that happened about has that been a year or that's longer than
0: a year ago it's been a while I feel yeah. like I want to say it was maybe like <laughs> 2017 2018 but honestly everything oh. <laughs> Covid makes everything feel different. It does. Pre-Covid
1: and post-Covid. So we met a long time ago.
0: Yeah, we met pre-Covid. I think we were both still in higher education. I remember that you were in an instructional design, maybe manager position at Turo yeah. College. So. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is definitely now. It's all coming back to me now, like the Celine Dion song. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm really glad that we've been able to keep in touch. Um, Now we both work in the corporate world. And this is one reason among many, because you're awesome, that I wanted to interview you for our podcast. So I'm going to head right into our standard questions. Can you share what brought you to instructional design? What inspired you to join the field? Um, so I
1: actually fell in love with educational technology first when I was a high school teacher. Um, and my principal had, you know, deem me the person who was going to be in charge of training other people. And, um, I did a grant through the state of Maryland where I got a set of CPS clickers, which no longer exist in a smart board in my classroom. So I just, started coming up with lessons to engage my students. And then that led to doing some trainings at the board. And then that really is instructional design kind of, you know, training people. And I didn't realize it at the time because I was young. Um, So I loved coming up with different ways to help other teachers to engage their students and kind of be on the back side of things. But on the other side of that, I like designing my own lessons too. Um, in my own courses. So I still teach in higher education as well. So really the creative nature of being in a space where you can be innovative um, and also bring in your knowledge of like pedagogy, andragogy, all the different types of theories and putting that all into practice is what really attracted me to instructional design. Um, I feel like instructional designers are like low-key marketers. Um, You know, we put the information out there Uh, and we, especially when it comes to like ed tech tools or things to do or things to use, we, we kind of spread the good word about things. So I really like that and working with different types of audiences. So, you know, in higher ed, you got to work at one particular institution. And then, um, I went and worked at an online program management company where I got to work with various institutions and now in corporate, you know, it's definitely, um, more innovative, I think, than than higher education. So that, you know, I wanted to see the other side of that, and just it's just the creative piece. Like you can just try anything, and people are like, yeah, try it, see if it works, and if it doesn't, you go back. It's very iterative. It's very like open, um, and I just absolutely love this community. Everybody is so willing to share and provide resources and expertise on what they do. I I can ask to be in a greater, better community.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you. Um, we are in that community learning together, learning from each other. And uh, as I was reflecting on what you were sharing about how you got into instructional design, I remember some of my own similarities of what got me interested in the field as well. I didn't know it was a thing until I interviewed with a team at Columbia. Um, this was when I was got a job, started working as a learning management system trainer and administrator. And I remember asking the team like, wait, what do you do as an instructional designer? You help faculty make courses. I thought they made their own yeah. courses and I got lots and lots of laughs. <laughs> and yeah. <since> then, It's <laughs> been a journey. So yeah, really appreciate you sharing that and how creativity kind of opened those doors for you. So you started to hint at some of this already, but the next yeah. question is what do you love most about our field?
1: I feel like we, 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 It's both a pro and a con, if I want to quote Luke Hopson a little bit, sure, um, is that we do everything. Like I am a project manager. I am an instructional designer. I am an educator. I am, you know, I am creative, innovative. There's a lot of different roles that we take on, which you don't get put necessarily into this box. You can, you can be open to other things. So, and I've already said, I love the community. So definitely love the community. Uh, That's great in our field. But these these ways in which we can continue to elevate and level up ourselves. That's really what I love about the field. And, you know, there's so many resources uh, of things, like if you wanna be an instructional designer or you wanna learn storyline or you wanna learn about Addy, like you can just go out and find it. I remember like pre-COVID, like a lot of this didn't necessarily exist. And now we just have this vast environment of resources that we can explore and go out and look at and see what people are doing. You know, AI is kind of taking over things, but really instructional design, too, on the other side of that, we really um, advocate and we accept those kinds of things, like the new stuff, Um like AI, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. It saves me a lot of time writing like overviews and objectives and things like that. You know, you still have to read it. But I really love that we're innovative and we're we're really accepting of new things and open to that.
0: Yeah, I agreed. I think it would be a very different experience if we were all fearful of those new technologies or new methods. Right. And for me, too, that's something that keeps me in the field. Something that I love about it is I never feel done learning. There's always new information coming out, new technologies, you know, new problems to solve. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think we will ever get bored. (laughs) No. And we're okay if it doesn't work.
1: Like, I think that's the thing we adapt to change very well in instructional design. Like we're okay. If something doesn't work out, it's fine. We're going to go back to the drawing board. You know, that's really like, you can,
0: there's fail safes built into this type of role. I appreciate you sharing that because that's something that I still struggle with personally. And I'm (laughs) learning from you and other folks with tons of experience in the field. You know, it's not about that perfect first learning solution. It's all about designing something in service of our learners. And guess what? Like people are different. It's going to take a few tries to get it right or to get it better. So yeah, Mm -hmm. good emphasis on adaptability and, you know, always getting a little bit better every time. Yes, absolutely. So I bet that in your varied experience, you've done a lot of things, but what is maybe one favorite idea that you haven't gotten to do yet? And I promise not to steal it from you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, So, and it's not really necessarily related to working at pharmacy. So back in higher education days, one of the an idea that I had was had to do around quality assurance rubrics, and creating this framework inside an LMS that where you're able to score inside the LMS, but also leave commenting. Say you had like a framework for the quality matters, just to kind of streamline the ID workflow a little bit when it comes to that step. Um, and I know there's certain technologies like City Labs has some of that built into their platform, not the scoring part, but I really feel like we spend a lot of our time evaluating and that's an area where we can improve the experience for instructional designers so that we can open ourselves up for those other things. Even with corporate as well, I I think that could be tied into uh, an accessibility checker for everything, Um, not just within the tools itself, like a very thorough accessibility checker that overlays over any application so that you can check the accessibility like storyline doesn't have one and I'm not trying to knock them, but they don't, you know, like the Microsoft products do. Um, so that's good. But I, I really feel like something like that needs to happen where it's, it's more streamlined than us doing that manual work. Cause instructional design really isn't about that piece of it. It's interacting with the SMEs and it's interacting with your stakeholders and developing the content. So that piece of it needs to be, um, you know, built better. And I have one more, I really want to write a book about something. I always talk to Luke Hobson about this. I really want to write something because I do all the stuff with job transitions and, you know, instructional design in the field. Um, But I haven't, I don't have the, I haven't had the time. I haven't sat down and figured out how I'm going to do that yet. You know how you have those ideas in your head and it's really hard to, for me, like it's just flowing through and to put it into words that people understand.
0: Oh yeah, I have a lot of that, but now that you've said it, and now that maybe some other people will hear <laughs> on a podcast, we're going to be checking in with you, you know, every few months, like Holly, how's that book going? Um, yeah. I yeah. want to pre-order it already, but I hear you. <laughs> that sounds really challenging. And I also don't know how folks do that. They're just like, yep, I'm going to sit down and write a book and here's how much time it'll take. And here's the deadline. Um, I know. <laughs> Some people but, are really uh, great at that. I'm
1: not. I, I can write an idea and then not come back to it for a while and or procrastinate on it. I
0: just, you know.
1: Yeah. It is what it is. But now I'm using your podcast as an accountability thing.
0: Yes. And you know, maybe <laughs> like I, I always think of, you know, problem solving. I'm, I'm trying to do instructional design for your goal right now.
1: <laughs> Cause yeah, that's yeah. the kind of
0: person I am. But if there's a little opportunity every week to, you know, work on one story or one part of a book, Um, and then, no, who knows, by the time we talk again, you might be halfway through a draft. Maybe. <laughs> I
1: hope so. I hope so. The dissertation might deter me from that a little bit, but maybe that can be the start of the book. Is, is Oh, that case. is who true. Who knows?
0: And I missed commenting on that earlier. So congratulations on going back, oh, thank finishing you. the dissertation. Um, I know you have a big journey ahead of you and I am rooting for you all the way. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Um, so two more questions that I want to ask you. What do you think needs to change when it comes to the interview process for those transitioning into the field of instructional design?
1: This is an amazing question and one I would absolutely love to answer because of seeing the different ways in which people and companies set up their process when it comes to interviews and the multi steps and the way applications are done and contacting. So I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start at the, you know, applying for the job. The application process should not be a barrier to getting an interview for the role or even getting your information to a recruiter or somebody on the team, seeing your professional materials. So the application itself needs to be very streamlined, like the ones that I love the most. um, And I know that some of my colleagues and friends say that they love are like the one page, maybe the one page, two page with the demographic information. Um, on the second page but just filling out your information your address uploading your resume maybe possibly a cover letter or your profile information websites and then that's it like you know the ones where you go into these very lengthy and this is higher education is notorious for this so if you're looking for a role in instructional design is you have to open up, you have to create a portal and then they say, upload your resume, but then they have you put in your employment history and then you have to put in your skills and everything. People spend a lot of time on their resumes. So we definitely need to honor that um, because people are working very hard to figure out like what goes where Um, they're not just submitting a piece of paper that they just kind of threw together. Um, The people that I work with, they definitely don't do that. So, I think starting with the application, it needs to be streamlined. And maybe even before that, in the job description, telling about the interview process and how that's all going to work, that transparency around that in combination with a simple um, application form. Because people, this is, you're creating barriers for people that are unnecessary. Um, and you, you know, you're, you want to find somebody really great. And if they can't navigate your system, you know, that's, that's really on the company. That's not on the person applying for the job. You're not making things accessible. You're not, you know, being a great instructional designer using UDL and all those different things that we learn about. So I think that's, we need to start there. And I want to hear your thoughts about that piece before I go into the other ones.
0: Oh yeah. Such a good one. Um, And I fully agree with you. Systems need to be improved. You know, it's so. Gut wrenching, and it almost feels condescending that once you've crafted that resume, tailored it to this specific job, which we all do, because that will give you a better chance, even though it takes more time, um, than just being able being asked to rather copy and paste the information into a separate field because of maybe technology pitfalls, these things don't actually speak to each other, and we need the system to do some automated checking. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating and it really is not in service of the applicant that we're trying to recruit to join an organization, right? They're already getting frustrated about that process. So the next,
1: the next thing I want to talk about too, and I want to make sure... Uh, that we mentioned, this is the salary transparency. And that comes in the job description. And I should have mentioned that before is tell people what they're going to make, give them a a range. Um, You know, don't keep that a secret. I really think it's important that we're not messing with people's livelihood um, because we're getting a job for a reason to support our families or whatever endeavors that we're, we're going into. So I think it's important for companies to be very transparent about that. I remember feeling very awkward about asking about salary information and I didn't used to do it until like I got the job, which I really am against now. I think you should ask that in the initial interview, whether it's with the recruiter an HR rep um, or somebody on the committee, you should just get clarity around that if it's not listed in the job description. Um, because again, that's your livelihood and you can't you don't want to waste your time going through five rounds of interviews to find out that you're going to be making, you know, a lesser salary than what your experience is or what you need. So that's definitely um, something else. Um, but beyond after you apply and, you know, the, you get the interview and, or you need to communicate. Like, I feel like these companies and organizations go so many people, like you were saying you didn't hear for two months. That's, That's eight weeks, eight whole weeks. Somebody or some automated system couldn't tell you that we're currently like somebody put in, you know, a message to send out that we're currently reviewing that we're in the process of we received it. Thank you. We'll be in touch in about a week. Um, These things are so simple, especially when you can automate them. Um, And I would say that you need to communicate with people and also too, you should personalize it. Like, Have a human definitely look at it uh, and say, you know, even if it's a rejection, we appreciate your experience and we're so glad you've been in the field for this many years, but we're looking for somebody with this, this, and this, and we hope you continue to grow, you know, just making people feel like they're worth something. Cause when you go somebody, it makes it, it brings out that imposter syndrome or it makes them feel like they did something wrong and it kind of degrades them. So when companies do that, I tell my clients, I tell my, my colleagues, I'm like, don't, you don't even want to work there because it just shows you about the culture of the company and they don't respect you for your time and your expertise. So you want to move on to something else. Um, and and the best one I've ever seen, like a, a, like a rejection letter was very much personalized and it honored my experience and it honored like, you know, my time and taking the time to complete the application and research the company I mean, it really literally takes under five minutes to do for somebody. Um, and we have HR representatives and we have people within the committee who could put these emails together. Um, so definitely communication is important. And then after that, once you start landing the interviews and you land that first interview, I really think the process needs to be shorter. Um, the longest, the most interview stages I have ever been through is seven for a position. And that was so difficult for me because I got the position, but then they said, we want you to meet with this person just to make sure that they're on board with it. Like after the fact, I'm like, oh my gosh. So it made it a, a seven round interview process.
0: And that was in higher ed. It's oh, um, so stressful. So, and I know someone who just went through the exact same thing and it was also seven. So I wonder if it's the same place, but we're not going to name and shame them here. No, we're not going to name and shame. We just want people to do
1: better and yeah. uh be we're human. We, this is our time. We're not, we're, you're not paying us to be there. You're not rewarding us. We might get the position. It's not a guarantee. So you need to respect people's times like one or two, three at the most is enough. You can have that screening, you can have the committee. And then if you want to do like a leadership interview to wrap things up, like maybe have the final two come in and meet the leadership team or the leader of the company, But I really feel like three or more is really, you're just, you're ostracizing people's time. You're taking up, you're wasting time that, you know, people don't have, people really don't have that kind of time. And they want to get, like you said, get into the role and start learning and start, you know, generating an income.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, in addition to thinking about the pain points on the applicant side, it's also causing the organization a lot of time and money in trying to fill that role, right? So I often think that some of these pain points might be caused by folks don't actually know what they want in that role. And that's right. why it takes so much time. So a little bit more planning time up front you know, get clear about your process. And as you work on that process, include touch points of when you're going to let people know and how you're going to move people to the next stage. You know, it's, it's just going to help everyone. Um,
1: yeah. it, it's I, anxiety inducing when you don't hear back, like you do an interview and you're like, oh, I'll hear from you in a week. I'm like, but you, it, a couple days is enough, a couple business days, you know, it just, it, 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 it doesn't make sense anymore for the technologically advanced society that we're living in that it takes a whole week to hear back. I can understand if people go on vacation or emergencies happening, but I mean, it really shouldn't take that long.
0: Yeah, agree, and I have been waiting in other interviews where I, I made it through. I think a second interview or kind of kind of a big important one, and they say, "Oh, we'll get back to you within a week," and then maybe three weeks go by. So at that point, I take the hint, but still, you know, it feels it feels rude. <laughs> so it does. I would it like feels... people to be nicer.
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels it kind of feels you feel slighted and disrespected of it, and I can't. You know, you can control how your emotions are, but I mean, really like this is, these are big companies, some of these, these interviews and things that we go on and they should really have their stuff together, even smaller companies, like you are hiring somebody and through the interview process, you're exposing a lot about your culture internally, whether you know that or not and how you do things. So you want to be on point for your interview process and make the person feel very welcome and make the person feel like they're, they're you know, awesome. They've applied, they've gotten through these processes and also be very respectful. And, you know, if it's a, it's a rejection, like you can definitely reject in a very kind and very, a way that doesn't make you feel like, you know, you're just a number in their queue. Like, Oh no, you're not suitable. We've gone with other candidates, but you go back and read the job description. And it's like, I check off like 75% of these boxes here. What? you know, those ATS systems, that's something else. That's a conversation for another day. I'm going (laughs) to leave that out of the conversation. Um, but I really think it's about respecting the human and the process and not, not ghosting them, making them feel like they're aware of what's happening, all those different things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Before I ask you one more question, I do want to go back to talk about salary a little bit because Mm -hmm. I think, and correct me if um, I'm right or wrong here, uh, but you regularly post open jobs on LinkedIn to let the community know what roles are out there and you try to include the salary in those, right? Absolutely. So every Monday and Friday, I do US-based roles
1: and those all have salaries, associated with them. And the U S has definitely become better because some of the laws that are changing in the States that you have to post the salary range, but there's still people who don't post it. And I think that's one of the things, uh, people, they, they're going to decide that if that's a, you know, an entry, a mid or a senior, if this, that salary is suitable for them in whatever state they're living in or city, um, that they could sustain their lifestyle. So definitely uh Wednesdays I try to post international job postings and it's a little bit more difficult to find salaries especially in um you know other countries that don't operate necessarily like the United States uh, as a you know capitalism that kind of thing but I do post salary positions and then non-salary that I think are good and you should apply for um but yeah those those really are great roles in their instructional design and or instructional design adjacent, especially for like transitioning teachers or job seekers or higher people who are just looking for a different role or a higher level role. And I post all levels. So from entry level, all the way up to director type roles, if you're looking.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think it really helps people set expectations, start to refine, you know, where might they be at in that development journey um, and to, yeah, just have a better chance at applying and getting through an interview and then, you know, not being hit with this shock of, oh no, this is half of what I'm currently <laughs> making. I've, I've had right. some situations and it's painful. Um, the
1: elephant in the room has already been revealed. It's yes. already been discussed and you can move on to
0: other conversations. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think some companies are starting to do it differently, especially in the States as, Certain states have uh, some more robust laws than others. Sometimes I will see weird workarounds, like the range is one dollar an hour to fifty billion, depending on experience, I know. or depending <laughs> on your location. If you live in the, you know, the
1: cheap South, like where I live, and it, the it, cost of living is notoriously lower, you're going to make less than somebody living in New York, which is fine. But give us like I know I was talking to one of my friends, my moderators of my community about this a while ago. Like the salary range for one position was like forty thousand to a hundred and like twenty thousand. Like that's way too big, you know. Kind of you know make it a little bit more manageable. Like break that down a little bit. And if you know that you're you're getting people from certain states, maybe you can give the states and what the range would be. Right. Good. Good recommendations there.
0: So, one question that I'm going to end us on is a question from the question hat. If you were stranded on a deserted island and could only bring 3 items, what would they be and why?
1: Oh, goodness me. This this is actually a hard one for me. Um That's I would definitely <laughs> I would definitely bring some sort of water bottle with a water filtration system and Practical. that kept my water that kept my water cold because I know hydration is important. Absolutely. That's so that's number one. I don't know if I'm gonna have phone signals, so I'm not gonna pick any sort of technology. Um I would probably bring definitely sunscreen <laughs> or some sort of clothing that keeps me cool because I'm a certain desert island is probably hot. Um so I'm gonna bring yeah. some sort of clothing that keeps me cool. And then something to chop stuff down with. I watch enough episodes of Naked and Afraid to know that you have to, you need like that and or something to start a fire with. You can't live without those things. So I'm being very practical here. Not very innovative. I love it. Not very innovative. Um, Watch enough Survivor too, to know those are the things that you need in order to survive. So I'm going into survival mode.
0: Yeah. Survival mode is how I should be thinking, um, but I always go for the fun, totally impractical stuff. So (laughs) I'll give you a bonus. If you do want to answer like, what are three more fun things, assuming your basic needs were covered, you know, what would you Mm -hmm. just want to have on that island with you?
1: Oh gosh. I would love to have a nice, like a nice little raft, like a little boat to lay out in and just have, you know, some nice drinks. Um, I would also love to have AC. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely,
0: some sort of portable fan. Yeah, now mechanism. we're
1: going now we're going very bougie to the bougie side of things. Um, oh, let me think of one more that I would love. To, I would love to have like my computer with me and just, you know, like those moments where you can sit in the quiet and design and innovate and creative, like those are very precious to me because I do so much. So being on a deserted island, I would definitely love to have access to some sort of technology where I could write down my thoughts. Maybe. I need to go to deserted Island to write
0: my book. Maybe <laughs> that's the ticket. <laughs> yeah. Just block all other apps, like only word processor allowed. <laughs> exactly. I don't need internet. I just need to
1: write down my thoughts.
0: I love it. Well, we're going to link to a lot of great resources in the show notes, um, information about the professional journey, where folks can find you, et cetera. Is there anything you want to close with before we wrap up? Oh, no, I just thank you for inviting me on. I've had a really great time
1: discussing this with you. And I know we're very much like on the same wavelength. So it's fun to have a friend to chat with this stuff about with and then record it and share it with the world. So thank you.
0: Yeah, it's been wonderful. Hopefully I did okay with the recording. Um, Hopefully it gets it out there. I think it will. (laughs) So thank you again, Holly. And it was so great to talk to you. I know that I'll find you again online and I'm glad to you know, celebrate you to more listeners. So thanks again for all you do for the community. Of course. Thanks for listening. Questions, comments, and secrets of our trade can be sent to secretsocietyotid at gmail.com. That's secretsocietyotid at gmail.com.